Hi, this is John King with InsuranceRadio.com. On this episode, we have the opportunity to visit with an industry leader, marketing innovator, online sales pioneer who was integrating pay-per-click marketing before Google was a thing. Sam Halpern, Vice President, Divisional Director of Strategic Relationships with Senior Market Sales, has developed cutting-edge online lead generation since the 90s. You will learn so much about what goes on behind the scenes and a few secrets to success in our industry. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with the best, Sam Halpern. Sam, it's great to have you on the show today. It's great to be here. So I'm a little bit familiar with Senior Market Sales, the organization you're with, and I look forward to learning more about that today. But if you would start out by giving the audience kind of the 30,000 foot view of what you all do and and what SMS is all about. Sure. So SMS stands for Senior Market Sales. We're now part of the Alliant Insurance Services uh, family of companies. And Senior Market Sales has been working out of the same office in Omaha uh, since 1982. And our name has been synonymous with the senior market which for insurance, health insurance and life insurance, uh, industry agents and producers and executives means Medicare, Medicare supplement. Originally, there was no Part D or drug coverage until 2006. So we were major players in supplements as as well as long-term care and life insurance um, in the 80s, 90s, um, primarily focusing on agency distribution, helping insurance companies find the agents to sell their products. And so we continue to do that. And we've added Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D and annuities. And uh, Advantage is a major part of the senior market. Senior market sales works directly with agents, mom and pop, individual, but also large agencies, call centers. So we're in between the carrier and the producer, helping the producer understand the products, get contracted for the products, understand the compliance areas, and then help them with marketing and strategy and recruiting other agents to sell their um, the products that we all sell together. And in looking at, at your website and, and what you guys do, and we'll put a link in, in the show notes, uh, it looks like you have a pretty extensive uh, leads and marketing program as well. Is that right? Sure. Over the years, um, leads and marketing play a huge part in different agents' lives and business needs at different times in their careers. What we've found is usually earlier in an agent's life cycle, they really depend on leads that they buy or get through direct mail or internet leads or nowadays Facebook or uh, other social media methods. And then as they get more and more successful in their career, they still may use leads to sort of stay stay in the know. They tend to have enough referrals because their book of business grows geometrically and there's such a need for information about the kinds of health benefits that seniors need um, from the Medicare program that, um, yeah, I mean, leads are a huge part of our business, but it's interesting to see certain agents that really rely on them and um, at different times in their lives and, and ne- not necessarily what all agents need. But yes, we do have great lead programs. Uh, if you would talk a little bit about your path uh, at 
SMS and what you've done. I, I see that, um, and I'm really very interested in your early adoption and utilization of technology and marketing and sales. Thanks, John. Um, That's a nice introduction. Um, I do have a uh, long history with senior market sales. I started working there um, in 1999, in January of 1999, in um, a new office that was created in the Washington, D.C. area. And we were, that office was tasked with trying to take the internet, the relatively new internet technology, the web, web marketing, e-commerce, and leverage those, those features and what, what uh, at the time us young folk could you know, help the more established insurance uh, leadership understand what opportunities the internet could bring. And so in 99, we were focused on travel insurance. And so we sold the first travel insurance policy on the internet ever, we believe. It's hard to prove that, but we're pretty (laughs) sure it's true. Um, And and what we learned during those years, because it was so early, so I'm talking 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, uh, up until 2004 and five, I was focused pretty heavily on travel insurance, but I was also really experimenting. So I was focused on creating websites that quoted the product and allowed the consumer to buy it directly, but also create um, made possible tools for professional insurance agents to help consumers buy those plans. So we were always building on the web in those days, two tracks or, or two versions of the same thing. You want to quote the product or illustrate the product, and then you want to be able to buy it. And that's either a consumer buying it or an agent selling it or helping them buy it. So it's it's really tools, web-based tools and services. And in the early days and continuing for quite a few years, we I found that pay-per-click, Google, there was something called, before Google, there was Yahoo, there was Lycos, there was Overture. And, and we would be, I would, I'll, this is just memory. I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, I would, uh, you know, bid on or pay, say, I agree to pay literally five cents for these keywords, senior health, Medicare insurance, Medicare supplement, Medigap, health insurance for seniors. So phrases like that, things that you would think a consumer might type into Lycos or AOL.com or whatever, Netscape, whatever was going on back then. And uh, before Google, really, uh, Google came on, uh, Yahoo, I guess, is the big player. And so you could, um, pay-per-click has remained the same, but it's just a much, much more expensive prospect today. But in those days, at five cents, I could not specify geography. It was just the world, not even the US, just out there. So we would get get clicks from Japan, Brazil, Germany. (laughs) You know, we couldn't, so I was paying five cents for those those clicks I couldn't (laughs) use. But we would basically, uh, early on, it was five clicks. So 25 cents would generate a a lead. So they'd click on it. We'd ask, we'd give them some information, uh, a landing page, uh, but they could click through to more to get quotes and look at the product information. But we would add the call to action is give us your first name, last name, date of birth, zip code, phone number, and email. So we can reach out to you and help you with what you need. So it would cost us 25 cents to get one of those leads. 
So wow. that's 2000, 2001. And so then because, you know, I remember my, my boss at the time, um, Jim Summers, is still the president of senior market sales. He'd say, so, so what, what, should, what markets are you targeting? You know, what territories? I'm like, what do you mean? You know, like where, where are these leads going to be? And I'd say, the United States, what do you mean? Everywhere. And he's like, okay. Because <laughs> no, I, I was stressed out because I didn't come from an insurance background. So a territory didn't mean anything to me. I didn't realize that, that generally you weren't harvesting leads across the 50 United States and just hope. So we had, you know, the web created a different kind of lead. There was very high quality prospects. They wanted to talk to somebody. There wasn't 10 agents calling the same person. We were the only one. So when an agent, so basically we started to build, that's what got us to build because we had leads all over the country from everywhere. We had to find agents that could follow up on those leads and it was easier to find. So we started to find producers that were licensed in maybe 10 or 15 states because maybe they were a semi-retired former vice president of an insurance company and they had to have all these licenses. They didn't have all the licenses because they sold in those states. Nobody sold multiple states back then. But we would yeah. find these guys um, and then they would say, yeah, I'll, I'll try the leads. And they would be like, these are amazing. You know, like how many more states? And I'd say, well, I don't know. So they would get licensed in 30 states and they would take the leads. So that went on for uh, that way. And we, so we built a system, which we now, which we then called Lead Advantage. That was our platform, our web-based platform. Um, and in those days, we didn't say software as a service, but it was essentially that. And, yeah. um, you know, instead of having a, what, something on their computer, it would be on the internet and they could log in. They could, uh, the, we would send the leads to them. Eventually we came up with ways where they would pay for the leads. Um, and then they would be able to, in the same system, uh, get a quote. Eventually we moved on from medic, from travel to Medicare supplements. They could get a quote for MedSup. Um, you know, we were a big, big distributor, distribution partner of Mutual of Omaha. And then Mutual started to add the other carriers as, as that industry developed. And it was United of Omaha and Omaha and, and United World and those things. And, and, we, and we represented um, other Aetna and, and other carriers. And we became a multi-carrier. We were always multi-carrier, but people thought because we were in Omaha that we mm -hmm. were a marketing arm of mutual Omaha, which had good and bad um, aspects to it. It was sometimes agents were less suspicious uh, of us uh, and yeah. would sort of treat us more like a carrier because they thought we were part of the carrier, but also that they didn't quite realize that we were a good partner for helping them with United Healthcare or Aetna or Cigna or what have you. Sorry, I keep going. You should probably interrupt me. No, no, no. That's great. And it, I'm just thinking of my own experience, man. I bought, when I went from being a W-2 for 10 years uh, to the last 10 years being an independent, man, I've bought some terrible leads from what I found yeah. out were not reputable organizations. I mean, I, I started calling on some of them and they were copied out of the phone book. And these people told me I never, ever asked for information and got really upset with me. And I learned the hard way. Um, I, I guess I should have been talking to you guys back then, but filtering those and, and finding the, the right partner is, is incredibly important. So what you're explaining yeah, I, so many yeah. of us in the audience have had to learn the hard way. Yeah, in those early days, I was more of a, a, a internet-based leads pioneer because I was the published my company and I was the publisher of the content, and we weren't buying anything from anybody. We were getting 
you would call natural listings um, as a, also paid pay-per-click, but uh, we weren't selling the, we weren't buying from people who are buying from people who are buying, you know, so now over the years, senior market sales experimented with um, buying leads from third parties and vetting them and, and having agents tell us that they're good. And, and you know, we've had, we've had good and bad. I think it's been an evolution and a lot of things on the internet went from an amazing promise to something somewhat sorted. Um, and, and a little sad for those of us who grew up with the internet uh, um, that, you know, it's, I mean, there's still lots of amazing technology that's really productive and not destructive. And I'm, I'm not anti-internet, but I think leads are a tough business, uh, a tough area. And I don't want to say, I don't want to paint all lead vendors with the same brush. It's not right. really fair. Um, but I will say that because there are different types of agents now. So if you really in broad categories, independent producers or field agents that are not in a call center and yeah. call centers, those are the two broadest divisions. People who don't use dialing technology, people who still dial someone up on the phone, like a regular person like you or I would, they're they're outgunned. They're, they're, it's, it's very hard uh, to what I call, we now call data leads. So, so there's two types of agents. There's call, there's call center and there's field. And then there's roughly speaking, two types of leads nowadays. Now, if I take direct mail, uh, two types of web-based leads, data leads and um, phone leads. So phone leads are either unvarnished, unqualified inbound calls, raw inbound calls, which have some value. There's just, you don't know if the person might be, you know, 29 years old and asking about Medicare and they're not even disabled. Right. Like, you know, they're, un, they're unqualified. You don't know. Uh, or they're just, you know, calling because they think they're calling Mutual of Omaha or they're calling AARP, they think. Um, ver, but then there's, the, I'd say the most common is, is what we now call warm transfer. So warm transfer was for many years, the exclusive opportunity of call centers, real financed call centers with a room, with a whiteboard, with supervisors walking around, listening in, um, critiquing, whispering into the ear to the agent, telling reminding them what to say, you know, just metrics, you know, really staying on top of how many, you know, what your call time is, how many minutes you're staying on the phone, how many dials you're making per hour, the, those things that independent agents don't want they don't, they're independent agents because they don't want that they don't want somebody right running their lives they're independent business people so the good news is the their quality of life is is if they can pay the bills they they have a good quality of life because they're their own boss or closer to their own boss if, but but on the other hand it's tough with leads because they because these other the call centers are on it they're just getting to the consumers before the agents are you know it used to be you know a few minutes if you, if you were if you didn't call the person within a few minutes, man, you're just waiting too long. Now you have to call a lead. You you have to call that lead within seconds, or it's over. The the quality yeah. of the lead dramatically reduces. So long story short, you're asking about leads. We still provide data leads, and we provide them in a, a platform um, called uh, the Lead Exchange, which um, we're still experimenting with, trying to you know give agents the ability to 
to, to bid on what they're willing to pay for. So sometimes there are aged leads that cost much less and you know they're aged, they're not fresh, but you're the kind of agent that says, you know what, I know how to work those. And I'm happy to get aged leads for a dollar instead of $20 for some supposedly exclusive lead. So there's, there's just different types of agents, different types of leads. But I think for the most part, the success in the future and in the, in the near term and, and for many years to come, it's going to be warm transfers because you just remove a lot of the variables. You, you, they're qualified. You only pay if the person stays on the phone with you for 60 or 90 seconds, depending on the vendor. And um, yes, you pay a lot more, but you're engaged with somebody. You're not dialing for dollars, trying to get someone to answer the phone. You at least are talking to somebody. Now, that, that could be 45, 50, $60. Some people are paying 70 or $80. I mean, per warm transfer. So it's a different game. It's that's a tough way to start if you're just starting out. So people just starting out still dial people off the do not call list. People who are not on the do not calls, excuse me, you know, but. Right. And, and one of the things I saw on your website that I didn't know, um, I knew that the average age of agent had been increasing over the last 20 years uh, and people are retiring out of the industry and, and maybe younger people don't initially see the value coming out of college of specializing in med sup, you know, or, or some yeah. type of senior product. Um, but when you look at what opportunities are out there, I think I read on your website, it went from over 700,000 agents to about half that yeah. and are going to have to serve twice as many people looking for answers uh, on med sup. Is, is that real? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. It's hard for me to, um, validate that statistic but yes that's generally what we're hearing is that um anecdotally the owners of agencies who are in their 70s or 80s um they're you know many sometimes their children want to take over the business but you a lot of times they don't and right. so you know what does that mean do you do you sell you know so there, there's there, there's a consolidation and they're, and they're selling their their business it used to be you could just sell your book now yeah. you can stay in the business and be acquired. And that's something senior market sales is doing with um, some of our partners, some of the you know, agencies we've worked with for years that have helped us get to our level of success. Um, you know, we were acquired by Alliant and part of the strategy for being acquired by Alliant was that we would have with Alliant support, the financial acumen, the financial resources and the intra-corporate culture and knowledge and expertise of how to acquire businesses and, and bring them into your business. So, so that's happening, but yeah, I mean, generally the writing's been on the wall for a long time that um, there are fewer agents and there are more and more people turning 65 and, and, and even more importantly, living longer. I mean, the, you know, the people in their eighties that are going to live to their nineties is, so dramatically more than in any prior generation, the history of the world, um, so it, you know, science and healthcare, you know, although we can be cynical about lots of things in our lives, generally speaking, people are living longer. And when millions of people are living longer, you, you have lots of challenges. There, there really are opportunities though for the insurance industry. And I think you're right that um, a lot of college aged kids or people coming out of high school or that, don't want to go to college. I don't know how it, it is an interesting question how they get fed into the insurance world. It's 
it seems like there are certain organizations, I think it's carriers or, or some agencies that specialize in training the younger, newer agents. Um, and I think it's something that senior market sales um, has thought a lot about um, and, and probably is in our future. It's not something we've done particularly well over the years. We generally are are recruiting or, or bringing on board people with some experience, um, but certainly finding the right people um, when when we're when that's a necessary um, behavior for the success of the industry and just to reach out to make sure all these customers are taken care of, something all agencies can, should think about. What um, seeing as that you work both with call centers and independents, what is what are some characteristics of a producer that you see and you immediately know that person's going to be successful or vice versa? You know, what do you see and you think, wow, they're going to have a tough time in the industry? A good question. Um, I'll be honest that I'm not as much in the trenches as I used to be dealing with as many agents in their earlier phases of their careers. I'm generally dealing with um, more successful agents and agencies, but that, but that doesn't, but I, I understand what you're asking. So, you know, I, I, immediately what comes, comes to mind is it's, it's not so different from any business or activity. You know, I, I, I sometimes call it a sense of an entrepreneurial spirit, but I, I also sometimes in conversations with colleagues and friends, it's, it's also, just a curiosity, you know, people who have a curiosity to figure out something, how it works. Not, sometimes, you know, that sounds like I'm talking about engineering or mechanics. And that's, you know, I'm not interested in figuring out how a car works. So I draw the line somewhere. Like I can't, I'm not great with my hands. I'm not good with plumbing or electricity, but, but I do, but I have, I figured out travel insurance. I understand how Medicare Advantage works. There's going to part D works and I can, you know, I want to figure out how to get from the carrier, the data we need from CMS, the data we need, how to find out, you know, what do the agents need? So it's, it's a curiosity to not just say, I know the answer, but I'm going to find the answer. Or if something is not working right, why isn't it working right? How do we figure it out? So some people, I think, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm touting my own horn with that little diatribe, but <laughs> what, when problem solver. Yeah. I mean, I think there's another type of agent too that's not necessarily the same type of intellectual curiosity perhaps, but has a real customer service bent, someone who really is good with people. I find that those are the kind of the two types in, in, in insurance that I see. You have, you have the sort of the tinkerers and the problem solvers who figure out, you know, how to, if somebody doesn't know their own Medicare number, how do we, how do we help that? Was there any shortcut to getting through social security, that phone number? Is there, you know, is there, is there an office we can go to that might be shorter, you know, driving 40 minutes rather than saying on the phone, you know, whatever it is, or do I have a friend who might be, you know, whatever, I'm just giving an example, but, and then, then there's the people that just listen and are patient and, and, uh, you know, it's, I don't think they're faking it. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who fake empathy really well. So, you know, they're really people who are good with people. And that, that also isn't just consumers. And I think in the industry, you have the colleagues who are really people, 
persons. You know, they they have all the relationships with the carriers, with the agencies. They know everybody, and and they're you know I think that's a strong skill in sales businesses. And you know sometimes the doers, the people you know staying up late, making the website work, and making sure that the forms are available and that the licenses, are, you know, the spreadsheets, and you know they might be frustrated with the attitude of the other sales guy, but they both need each other. And, and, and that's, you know, sometimes people have both skills and then they're really successful. If they're good with people and they're problem solvers and they're good with numbers, I mean, you can do a lot of things successfully. Um, so we've talked about tech and how it plays a role. Um, where do you see that going? What are trends in tech right now that people need to be taking advantage of in well, sales I, and marketing I, for these products? Yeah. I, I think in um, in Medicare particularly, there's this idea of um, patient directed. Some, it, it comes out of the healthcare system more than it does the insurance system, but they're tied at the hip. And so, you know, personal health data is is critical for managed care, and so the more we move away from the supplement type of products, not that we're ever going to completely eliminate them. I mean, no one, I don't think wants that, but it does seem like uh, the medic, the trend towards managed care, which is an older term for Medicare Advantage, is that train is not stopping anytime soon and it's gaining steam, right? So for, for various reasons, and people can be critical and say it's a, it's a, there's, it's, it's a bad trend and you know if you, I don't that it's overhyped in terms of its benefit to society. I, I'm not going to comment on that. I, 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 th- I, I think we're still in an experimental stage to see if you assume that most people are, are acting in good faith, obviously we're a capitalist society and people want to make money, but they also, I think, generally want to improve processes and make things more efficient. So, just because you could one person's bean counter on an accounting concept is a gatekeeper to an HMO. I mean, that was a that was an evil word like 30 years ago. Oh, the HMO <laughs> gatekeeper, those bean counters, it's being run by accountants, right? Like accountants are evil, they're not. But so that's sort of the negative spin. And then you have, well, what if with more knowledge about what really works, we as medical professionals and insurance partners start focusing on paying doctors for better outcomes and maybe paying them less if they have. So this is accountable care. These are, this is Medicare shared savings program. These are basically a, we're moving away from fee for service into a more um, upside downside for the doctors. And then the insurance carriers are part of that. And the agents are going to be pulled into that world of understanding that Insurance products are tied to uh, medical providers' systems and ways of being compensated by by the government, by health and human services. And my long story is that individual health information and data coming out of Medicare Blue Button, coming out of um, electronic health records like Cerner and Epic, those integrations are going to be more and more important to smooth, to grease the wheels, to smooth the process 
so that people in their 70s and 80s and 90s and hundreds don't have to remember every drug they're on, don't have to confirm is it hydrochlorothiolizide? Oh, is that extra? Is that early? Is that, you know, you know, right. um, extended release or not? I mean, you know, I don't want to be ageist and say that seniors can't manage their own health care, but there's a balance between, you know, HIPAA protections and saying, right. oh, no, 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 you can't share information. No, no, it's evil, it's wrong. Well, that's not really what HIPAA is about. HIPAA is about being very deliberate and how you use health information and you have to protect it. And only people who have a valid reason to see it should see it. But that is insurance agents are part of that. They have a valid reason to know your social, to know your Medicare number, your part A and your part B. Do you have an SCP available? Do you, are you, uh, do you have, are you a low income? Do you have a chronic condition? I mean, you can't, help people with their lives and their healthcare and simultaneously while keeping it all a big secret. So I think that's an area where technology and public policy, we need to find that where, where consumers can, or patients in the medical term or clients in the insurance term can authorize people they trust to have their information at their fingertips so they can make choices about their next course of care, whether they're going to switch to a try to buy, you know, I don't know. I think, I think I cover the idea. Well, and to more complicate what you were just talking about. Um, now I'm not a med sub specialist. I've been in long-term care for 21 years. Um, but I heard the other day that now agents are going to have to record conversations that they have oh, yeah. with clients. Is So I don't know how up to speed you are on this because it may just be oh. brand new, but I can't oh. imagine that helping facilitate the conversation. It's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think most agents and industry stakeholders would agree with that statement that requiring insurance agents to record phone calls with their prospects and clients is more bad than good. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be how it turns out or not. Um, it is kind of an unfunded mandate. I mean, it's, it's un. there's two sides. I mean, I think there's two elements that are both significant. One is the cost is significant. It's really adding a lot of cost and who, who, you know, senior market sales is paying for it for all of our agents, at least through the end of OEP. So it's the end of February, you know, all of AEP, and then we'll figure out, you know, do we keep paying for this? Will the agents pay for it? Is is CMS going to maybe delay it, you know, undo it? We don't think that's going to happen, but it's possible. Um, so the, there's the cost issue, but then there's also that sort of privacy feeling and this right. idea that, that my clients are going to balk and say no, like, and it's going to get in the way of clear communication. I think that one is legitimate, but somewhat possibly overblown. Just all of us every day, you know, almost every day, you're you're talking to someone. I mean, when I call in just to just to get my tires rotated, this call is being monitored for quality and insurance purposes. And so it's like, I mean, is it really that big of a change for the consumer? It is for the agent. I really, it right. really is. And it's right. a pain. And it is so um, I think it does come with a silver lining. I, I will say that it's not well understood, um, but the silver lining will play out in the next three months, which is, remember how I said there's call centers and field agents? 
and how years and years ago we started generating leads through search engine marketing to, and we ended up creating what I used to call an army of one or call center of one, sorry, from the, from the TV commercials, army of one, I came up with this call center of one. So we had these agents that could sell in multiple states, which is a new thing. But they, and, but 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they, they weren't allowed to close the sale over the phone. They had to mail something out. Then we, a packet, you know, 10, $15 in the mail or whatever it costs. Then we said, oh, you can, can you email it? We got approval, we can email it. Then we said, well, can we email? Then we built out enrollment methods with partnerships and technology partners and carriers doing e-commerce so that you could send a hyperlink and a consumer who was comfortable with email, click on that link and enroll themselves. And so the agent facilitated that over the phone, but they didn't collect the information and get a voice signature. That was only for call centers until now. So hmm. starting in 11 days, on the 15th of October, the 300,000 agents that are still in this industry who, who want to, they're being told they have to record the call. Well, now, if, if, if it makes the most sense for their client and for them, they don't even have to email or text the client any information. They can behave like a call center and, and, and handle getting all the information over the phone, typing it into a screen, and basically getting the client's authorization to sign the application with their voice over the phone and hit submit. There's, wow. you don't have, yeah, that, that is the silver lining. I don't think anybody wanted to, nobody was asked whether they wanted, they accepted that bargain for exchange, but that is what we have now. Huh. So yeah, I never thought of it that way, that there could be, I'm sure that the folks in compliance are really happy uh, that these calls are being recorded, but yeah, the added benefit is that you don't have to send out uh, $10, $15 packets every time. God, I remember those days. Yeah. Um, there were some other questions I had on here, but you started out as an expert in war risk insurance. Well, as we got into travel insurance, we were trying to find our competitive advantage. And, um, yeah. you know, we were in the DC area in Northern Virginia, and I lived in Washington, DC, and a lot of agencies, you know, I don't remember how it happened, but we would, because we're on the internet, right? And so people would yeah. ask you and they'd say, okay, can you cover me? I'm going to Afghanistan. Wow. Well, it's on the list of care of states that Chubb's not going to cover AIG, you know, most of the care, the, the vanilla products that we have for health insurance or accidental death and dismemberment. You know, I'd say, what kind of insurance do you want? Do you want health insurance? Like, no, I, I want money if I get killed. I'd be like, okay, and what kind of policy are you looking for? They're like, a million, $2 million death benefit for Afghanistan. I'm like, what kind of work are you doing over there? You know, I, I sort of I'd say, I'm a contractor. Like, right. Okay. So, I work so for the they, state. I, yeah. So, state yeah. So, right. Yeah. They, and a lot of them did. And so, so the, basically, we found, you know, we ended up uh, learning about Lloyd's of London. And if you, you know, if you do your history, if you study your insurance history, you know, Lloyd's of London is where it all started. The, the Lloyd's, um, you know, early insurers were, were, were insuring ships sailing abroad. And, and they, the word underwriting is somebody would put their name under the name of a ship. So you'd, you'd be a, a, a guy with money in, in London and you'd say, all right, I'll take 
of the risk of this ship not making it back from Virginia to, to and so that's an underwriter. And so you'd put then five people would each take 20%, those five would share the risk. So Lloyd's uh, was able to, and then ultimately AIG and others. Yeah, we I started to learn that we could find coverage for people who were just private contractors, not even under State Department. I mean, there's two, they're very different scenarios um, that would cover um, chemical, biological, and nuclear war, that their benefits would not be, you know, prohibited. They could still, um, you know, you could pay to get, and then we'd say, you know, do you, do you carry a, a firearm? They'd be like, yes. So, you know, ensuring, <laughs> you, know, you know, all kinds of people, and, you know, most people don't say my job is a mercenary. So it's like, okay. Right, but, right. Um, but they need insurance too, right? So, uh so yes, we learned how to play. But then the, the, the State Department also had what's called the Defense Base Act. So there's a law that says you have to have a certain amount of insurance if you're a, um, a contractor in, in the federal government overseas. If you're bringing in private contractors on, under a government contract, they have to have certain benefits and a lot of, so we would help, we learned how to do that too. So, and that business continues. We, we Because we have you know 30 years of experience insuring people in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, you name it, um, people still come to us and that's an area that we can help them. So um, thank you. I, I was very curious about that when I read it in your bio. Uh, I wanted to hear exactly where that fit in. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen over the last 20, 30 years uh, for producers? You know, let's say those independent guys and gals that are out there, pitfalls, you know, learn from somebody else's mistakes. Yeah, I, th I, th I think they're, they're you know, I'll, I'll keep it in some simple areas, like you already mentioned one, you know, if you spend too much money right away on leads, and you don't really know what you're doing, not that you did anything wrong, but you don't know what you're getting. So you can't, right. you have to be very careful. And, 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 and you know, spend a 500 bucks or a 1000 bucks, but don't, don't, don't put 10 or 20 grand down on something you really don't know if it's going to work. That's just, I mean, unless you are have lots of money to try lots of things, that's okay if you do, but most people don't. So over committing on leads, um, mo most agents don't do a lot of advertising. It's other industries where people advertise. Agencies, some do, but I haven't, I, it's interesting how little advertising as distinguished from direct marketing, right? So, um, you know, um, but the thing that people do, it's less but that they used to do, which is similar to advertising and is dangerous if you don't really have a plan, is paying too much for a website. So if you go right. out and you look at a really pretty website, like, and or somebody, a friend of yours who's a plumber or a restaurateur or something, you know, I don't know, recommend some, and there's nothing wrong with your friends recommending a business, but you know, their business is very different from yours. And for them to spend 20 grand on a website may make total sense because people got to eat and they're, I mean, I don't know, or they, they maybe spent 20 grand on the website and another 40 grand on search engine marketing, right? So if, if the agent, if you put too much money into a website and it's just a brochure that you can find if you know the address of the site and no other way, that's a mistake. You, you really... Yeah. You, you, you should have a website and you should own your own domain, 
But those, you can do both of those things for, uh, you know, a domain costs $15 a year. 12 bucks, yeah. Yeah, 10 to $15 a year. And um, a website, you know, I, I think that, that's an interesting area. I mean, we, we have a partnership with a, a company called agentmethods.com. Give them a little plug. I think they're mm -hmm. great. Um, and, you know, we used to get, we used to want them to offer this, $99 a year website and they just they just stopped doing it that's it's not worth it but for you know 50 bucks a month you know 500 hours 600 or $600 a year or 500 if you pay all at once you, you know that you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to have a site and the nice thing about paying for a site or and agent methods isn't the only company but somebody that maintains your website you don't really want to buy it and then forget about it you, you yeah. want to pay a little bit so that they're there to help you. So they, if you say, you know, do you, do you have any, can you help me with search engine marketing? They either say, yep, that's something we can do. There are costs and we can walk you through them or we partner with somebody else over here or they say, you know, we really don't do that. Um, but, you know, maybe, you, you know, so search engine marketing, um, direct mail marketing, social media marketing, you want, you want to be, a, you know, the mistake is not doing any marketing so you want to have a website and you want to start promoting your website from day one, but you don't have to have an overnight success so web. You know, you just, you, and the website is from most agents, not going to be their primary way of getting customers. If you're e-health and if you're, you know, really, you know, spending millions of dollars to get traffic. Sure. Or if you're willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get traffic in a small area, you can. But it, it doesn't just come in like the like the UPS commercial. Right. Now, if you're if you have a really funny TikTok dance, maybe you can get some traffic. <laughs> that's not me. Um, <laughs> that that's oh, not me at all. Oh, but I will say one. Actually, I, I forgot because we have found some. The most recent thing that I think is within the control of insurance agents. It's 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 reachable. It's attainable. Um, is is YouTube videos. So, yeah. it, you know, I was kind of joking about TikTok. I'm too old to, you know, I don't want to look at TikToks. So like, I know what they yeah. are. But, um, and, I, and I don't know that Twitter is really a way to drive an insurance business. I, I, I don't see that. Um, Facebook, you know, there are lots of people with successful Facebook advertisements, but YouTube, and I think Facebook advertising can work, but it's a little closer to just search engine marketing, right? Where you're just getting traffic. But because YouTube is more about content. So like the kind of thing you're doing, um, you know, having a guest, creating a high quality product with good sound, good audio and editing. So if you put out something that you think people would be interested in on YouTube, that can create a reputation and, a, and then people will forward it to other people. And, and that is viral marketing and it does work. The very first generation of our website I didn't have the money to pay somebody to build. So I learned how to build it to just get a template. I mean, it was basically a, a brochure, like you said, right. Yeah. And then as, as time passed and I was in worksite, um, I had a group with 4,000 lives in four different locations. I did 40 meetings and I lost my voice. And so I felt like, cause I was going on site doing all those meetings. And I felt like if I can just find the best version of me doing a talk, and yeah. edit that up and put it on the website that I have, which is a custom URL for that company or university or group. 
then they can go to it and share it with their family and friends and anybody else that didn't get to come to my meeting because it's not in their corporate culture to mandate meetings for everybody. So, man, I, I totally believe in everything you just said, and I've experienced it myself over the last 10 years, the importance of having a presence and and good quality, relatable content information that's not just a sales pitch, you know, right. Right. Uh, because I believe that's where you you do your relationship building first. You know, they've got a, it's a soft introduction. They got to know who you are and what, you, what you do, what you talk yep. about and how you talk. And mm-hmm. that's a, an easy way for them to do that without having to, you know, smile and dollar sit in their kitchen, convincing them that they need to buy the product. It's funny because I have a 17 year old um, applying to college and, you know, he's got to write this, <laughs> <laughs> right he's got to write this essay that it doesn't have to be that he is a Nobel prize winner, right? I mean, that's not the point, but they do want him to share of himself. And that's a hard thing to do for a kid or for adults. It's I think what you just said is, I mean, I'm not saying that it's, it's a touchy feely video or, but, but, but basically, yeah, you, part of sales and, and communication in, in business and in journalism and in everything, entertainment is, uh, sharing your personality, your personal culture or your corporate culture, you know, who you are, that's part of it. I mean, what you sell, what you offer from the knowledge base and the product and the pricing. And, yeah. But a lot of it's you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a hard thing for people to understand. And not everyone is good at it. I mean, not everyone is going to make a nice video, not everyone, but even if they're not handsome or, have a good voice. I mean, if they share something of themselves and they put them, I think you have to do it. Um, and um, it doesn't have to be a 40 minute video either. I right. mean, so I'm building something um, which we're calling MedicareMadeEasy.com, which is going to help agents get visitors to to learn about them. We're gonna we're gonna market it for them, and it's gonna have video and photos about them and a bio and. It, you know, it's not, it's not like that's never been done before, but we're doing it again. Talk about um, mobile technology is such the rage, right? I mean, it seems yeah. like every carrier I deal with has an app or you can pull it up and, and get a quote. Um, what What's some advice on mobile technology and sales that, that you guys have seen trends, techniques, ideas, technologies? I mean, that that's a, I wouldn't say controversial, but it's a, it's, it's hot, hotly debated um, among uh, business and IT stakeholders, professionals, because there's sort of two two tracks you could go on. Native, you, you know, assuming you're going to do something mobile, you're going to you're going to spend money to build something mobile. If you're talking about the big company or the, as opposed to an agent trying to figure out what to do with a mobile t- device, but you either build it on the web and you make it the old, I think they still say responsive, right? So you, responsive right. design kind of grows and shrinks depending on whether it's the content is on a tablet or a phone. So tech, if, you, if you have really good responsive design, you have one website, essentially. It's, it, it may not work if you don't have internet, but it works on a tablet as, and a computer and a phone and should work on an iPhone and an Android and you don't, it's much less expensive to build because it's like an, it's flexible um, right? versus, but, but it, you know, there are limitations. So, 
some of the best apps and most of the apps that you and I use are not that. There are very few like that. Most of them are native apps that cost a lot of money yeah. to build. They are very expensive. So the problem with the, the, the to build a native app is, is the maintenance cost is so high. I was thinking about that. Even I could pull up my phone and show you the Mutual of Omaha app on here. And I'm just wondering, every year those change, at <laughs> least every year, if not more. It's very expensive. So I, I, I don't, you don't see a lot of agencies with native apps and you don't see every carrier. I mean, the bigger carriers, yes, but not every carrier. So the question is, it, you know, you know, senior market sales, we, we do have a mobile app and we work with Mindfulware to create a responsive site. So Mindfulware, by, uh, powered, you know, uh, run by Daniel Joy in Birmingham, Alabama, he, his company received, you know, we, we have the rates. So we send them to him as, as API that he displays his, his, his tool allows our agents to get mobile quotes, you know, really well formatted, looks good for Medicare supplement on a phone, but it's not an app. So we've done that and we're still debating, um, are we going to build out an app? I think we are. I think that the, the direction that, that senior market sales is likely to go is to make the kind of information that agents need at their fingertips um, available through the app, probably more likely, you know, what's information about them, like agent portal is gonna be probably stronger in the short term than trying to make the phone a sales tool. Because how often are you really gonna sell something to a consumer on your phone? I mean, it's possible, but it's still, it's really a laptop world. The insurance industry is, I mean, some people have a desktop, I do, but most people these days seem to have a laptop. And that's sort of right in between phone and tablet and desktop and these lap, whether it's a Chromebook or, or a Mac or a piece or a Microsoft PC type laptop, they can do everything. You need. Yeah. And it seems to me to be, I don't think that mobile is going to take over in, in any way. I mean, we've already, you know, just trying to think I do do some people like it's interesting. Do you buy, I buy airplane tickets on, on, my phone, but I do a lot of airplane tickets. Okay. Like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, but I mean, what do I not do on my phone? That, I mean, maybe things that other people do that I don't do on my, I, I don't know. I don't know that insurance is, is a high use mobile phone thing for, certainly not for consumers, for agents, it's a good question. Well, I just, I know when I've been out in the wild, uh, and somebody asked me, because whenever they find out I would, I'm a long-term care specialist, they're like, oh, well, could you tell me what it would be for mom or dad? And thank goodness I don't do med sup, because I would be getting that question all the time. Yeah. Um, and I and I pull out my app, and all of a sudden, I, I didn't update it. Well, you got to update. Can you hold on just a second? I got to update it. Wait, hold. sorry, I got to restart my phone and everything. And about 10 minutes later, I'm trying to get a, a quote for them. So um, I don't know. That's always been a frustration for me, but um, all right. I don't know. We're coming up and I, I only told you an hour. So I, do you have a few more minutes or you got a hard exit? 
yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So uh, want the audience to get to know Sam personally as the human being, not just the mm-hmm. industry expert. Um, and I noticed a, f- a few really interesting things about you. Um, you love to travel, speaking other languages, eating incredible food. So I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite travel destination? What's your favorite trip? I think it was Iceland. I mean, my wife and I were talking about it the other day. We took our kids. You know how it is with kids and family. There are certain things and certain trips and certain places that the kids have to, if they're at the exact right age for that place, that it really works well. You know, like Disney World's pretty magical for a lot of people when the kids are in a certain age. And then if they're too young, it's terrible. And if they're too old, it's not as magical. But when they're whatever that age is, six, seven, eight, it's pretty fantastic. Well, we went to Iceland, um, you know, and the kids, all three kids came with us. You know, obviously we had the whole family together and um, everybody just was open to experience. We, you know, everyone was open to hiking, to riding horses, to um, trying new foods, to going, you know, uh, and hot, you know, hot hiking up a mountain to go into a hot spring. You know, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was mostly um, seeing magnificent sights and being together. Um, and uh, it was quite beautiful. And we, every, you know, every day we got out and saw something that you just can't, I mean, you can't see that in America. They just, we just don't have that, you know, these yeah. massive, I mean, the waterfall at Niagara is pretty spectacular, but it's, it's still not the same as the waterfalls in Iceland. And um, the horses, you know, we're not, none of us are serious horseback riders, but the horses in Iceland, they like, they love the horses and they're different than horses everywhere else in the world. They're gentler and they have a different gait that some people say was bred out of horses in Europe in the earlier centuries. It's a, they call it a toit, T-O-I-T. It's in between a, it's a much, you know, a trot is like really hard, like really, you know, bang, bang. This is a much gentler. It's not as fast as a canter. It's slower than a canter, but it's like a gentle trot and it's Mm. just great. And so for kids who may be a little scared of the horse, the horses are gentle and they, they're not going to take off on you. They do exactly what you want them to do. And it's great. That, that sounds amazing. Uh, now I want to go to Iceland. <laughs> yeah. I've always We're, thought it would be an incredible trip, but that, that sounds yeah. amazing. And we went in the, in the summer, so we didn't see the Northern lights. Um, and that's something, and I'm thinking of going to maybe Norway um, next. Um, maybe, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Russia first, right? Yeah. Um, um, okay, so you seem like a really intelligent guy. So I'm I'm really glad I put this question in next. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite read? What, what book do you like? Have you read? What was inspirational, educational? Yeah, I mean, did you laugh, um, anything. I, I I like I I like both fiction and nonfiction. It's a little bit of a a joke in my household because it's a household full of r- voracious readers and I've slowed down on book reading. I'm, you know, I have a lot of work to do. I read a lot of content. I write a fair amount. Um, so I watch a lot of TV at home, but I have read a lot of books that I, that I've loved. Um, the two that come to mind, one is um, nonfiction is Krakatoa. 
and it's the story of of, of that huge um, eruption, mm-hmm. um, uh, volcanic eruption. I, it was, I read it a long time ago, um, maybe ten years ago. So, um, mm-hmm. and then I think I'm trying to think who the author is. It's I'll have to come. I'll have to look that up. Um, and then um, um, Bel Canto, Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. Um, she's a pretty popular author, but I just really liked Bel Canto. I thought it it's a really unusual story setup. Um, I kind of like murder and suspense and crime and international. And it it had all that, but it was also a you know internal. It's of course about people and their relationships, but it's a interesting novel that takes place. It's a lot. It, it surrounds a hostage taking situation in a foreign country um pretty interesting i was looking for my copy of um joel schwartz uh, book he was the attorney for the pam hupp case i don't know if you heard about that you say you like murder mystery and whatnot there was the renee zellweger nbc um, oh yeah as a plug for the show because if you go back a few episodes and and listen to my interview with him uh, he he came on the show because it was about insurance. I mean, it was a murder mystery surrounding uh, insurance and uh, life insurance proceeds. And she ended up killing her friend, you know, oh, for life insurance proceeds. And it was absolutely nuts. But um, yeah, Bone Deep was the name of that book. But okay. Sorry, best- Krakatoa, The Day the World Exploded by Simon Winchester. That's That's the book. Outstanding. Outstanding. Do you need to grab that? Nah, no. Okay. Uh, best advice. Best advice. Business. Either or that personal? you received. Um, you know, we're in the personal vein right now, but you can do you can do either, whichever you well, prefer. Well, you but... know, this is a, a sweet story. I think my um my father-in-law, who's 90, born in 29, so he's 94 now. And he lives with us, um, his his wife, and he moved in with us a few years ago. She passed away, but he's still with us. And it's great to have him around his grandkids and with the animals we have in the house. But when my wife and I got married, um, he took her aside and gave her a little advice, um, which I think is good advice, which was marital advice, but it was just make time for each other. Just make time for it. Make time for the people you care about. You, know, you can't just assume it's going to work out. And, It'll naturally happen. You have to make time for each other. Um, purposefully make time. Yeah. Uh, right. in, intentionally. I, yeah. Um, my undergrad and grad degrees are in psychology and counselor education. So I second his very good advice uh, for, for everyone out there in relationship building. Um, and I had one more personal question that I was going to ask you because my mom was the choir director for every church and school I went to through like Mm -hmm. 11th grade. Right. So I I can't tell you how many plays and musicals I've done, including (laughs) on the uh, streets of Rosfoy, Poland on a trip when I was 17, amazing uh, for another time. But I saw that maybe you and your wife met while doing a musical at Georgetown. I want to know this story. First of all, what was the musical? Well, this is a funny story because it involves senior market sales. So uh, 
I was a third year. So it was my, my third year out of a three-year program. And my wife at the time was a first year. And we met doing a show called um, Schoolhouse Rock Live. So you remember Schoolhouse Rock yeah. cartoons? So I was, I'm just a bill. I'm just a bill on, on Capitol yeah. Hill. Yeah, no, yeah. So I, I played you. Bill. Um, she played a bunch of different parts. But um, the director of the show was Herschel Kleinberg who is the son of Milton Kleinberg, who founded Senior Market Sales. So that's how I ended up with Senior Market Sales is Herschel was my friend. He had graduated from law school at Georgetown, had already worked for a judge, already worked in private practice and was now doing web design. He had left mm -hmm. law and was doing web design for Colonial Williamsburg, Smithsonian, things like that. Um, and uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, those were his, he had this educational, um, a guy who would drive, who would bring deals that were in nonprofit education world. And so um, Herschel was a member of this Georgetown Gilbert and Sullivan Society, which included alum, alums, you know, active, you know, current students at the law school, professors and alums. I mean, Supreme Court justices used to come to the shows they don't, I mean, I never saw that, but I was told they did. And um, uh, so Herschel was, a, so we, that, that Gilbert and Sullivan Society would do a, um, a musical in the fall, a non-musical play in the winter, and a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta in the spring. And so Emma, Emma's my wife, Emma Gillette, she and I met in Schoolhouse Rock, directed by Herschel Kleinberg. And um, at the end of my law school career, when I didn't really find that much joy in doing law work and I was holding down three different jobs, but none of them was a career, he said, you know, he was opening his office uh, to start working for his father's company, Senior Market Sales, and they started this internet division with three people, and I was the fourth. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, and I, so, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, Georgetown, because I went there, we were doing an enrollment when I was at W2, and we were um, stayed outside of the town, but I'm actually on my uh, map here looking because there was a pub right there on the edge of campus that presidents used to go to, and there's rumor, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the tombs? Uh, the, oh, gosh. The tombs? No, it was a restaurant, and it was a guy's name, uh, mm -hmm. Martin's Tavern. Martin's, Martin's Tavern. Tavern. Okay. Because the law yeah. school, the, my wife went to the main campus because she was getting a master's in foreign service and a law degree. And that was at the main campus, the foreign service. But the law school was in a different part of town. It was in, it was okay. on near Capitol Hill. Very cool. Um, well, I can't thank you enough, Sam. This has been a great opportunity to get to know you a little bit more and, and what you all do at SMS. Um, and I'm sure we'll put notes or we'll put information in the show notes on how to get in touch with you all. But what is the best way for someone to reach out uh, to contact you all? Go to SeniorMarketSales.com um, or call 1-800-786-5566 and ask to speak with a marketer. Perfect. Just thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. And I really appreciate uh, getting to know you a little better. Don, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate our time together. Thanks so much. 
We'd like to thank Sam Halpern for joining us on the show today. And for more information, go to SeniorMarketSales.com. If there is an industry leader or guest you'd like to hear interviewed on Insurance Radio, drop us a line at info at insuranceradio.com.